Good afternoon, Gabe. This is Joan, and it's 15 minutes to 5, and I was thinking about you. You left the note that you have two presentations tonight, and this is how you deal with it. You just step up with an aura of complete confidence that you know exactly what you're doing and what you're saying, and that will project across the audience because you do know what you're doing and what you're saying and you believe in it and 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 it'll be fine it'll be it'll it'll go real great uh, uh i'm confident that you can do it and you'll be very successful uh send my love and uh, god bless you bye bye All right, all right, all right. I'm Joe Turner, and this is City Manager Unfiltered, a podcast by a city manager for city managers and other public sector executives. I have a very interesting guest with us today. His name is Gabe Rayom. Very fascinating. He's the author of a new book called Strangers and Angels, Finding Family in Unexpected Places. It's coming out on September 12th. Basically a memoir uh, where he talks about his journey from uh, his childhood into becoming a city manager. It's a very fascinating and colorful story. In addition to this book that he's got coming out. He's one of the few city managers in the profession who has a wife who's also served as a city manager, makes him pretty unique in that regard. I don't think we're really going to flesh that out in too much detail in this podcast. I think we have to save that for another podcast, uh, Gabe, but welcome to the show and uh, thank you for, for being a part of it. Hey, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it. Excited to be here. Awesome. You know, hey, real quick, I'm just curious. I, I did see another couple up in, I think, Minnesota area who are husband and wife city managers or whatnot. And, I, I, you know, you since you were living that life for a while, though your wife's not a city manager at the moment, are there are there quite a few other couples out there who are in the city management ranks like that who are both both husband and, or both spouses are, are city managers that you know of? Yeah, there are. Um, the city manager of Arlington, Texas and Southlake, Texas uh, in our region, North Texas, Kind of a similar story. Corey and I met early in their career and husband and wife. And I think uh, Corey and I would say, you know, you probably can't choose who you fall in love with, but wouldn't recommend two city management careers in one household if it can be avoided. You know, it's that's a it's challenge. Tough. That's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's tough enough for one person. And, and she's actually kind of for the past three years or so done a number of interim city management uh, jobs, so which she's still doing. So she's still in, in city management. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, Gabe, but I am a, a staunch opponent of residency requirements for city managers. And if you're uh, having residency requirements for city managers, it's pretty tough for a husband and a wife to be uh, city managers at the same time if they're going to live in the same house. <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely. And, and I think that the world we live in now, there's uh, two career households. So uh, residency requirements are going to be, I understand where a city council is coming from. It's a nice to have, but it's going to be really hard to, you know, make that a, a hard and fast rule in the future with two working people in one household. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's Absolutely. interesting. So, you know, we're here today to, to talk about your book, plug your book, Strangers and Angels. Uh, it's coming out on September 12th. It's going to be an ebook as well as a hardback edition. It's a very fascinating read. I read it from cover to cover in a couple of nights. It's Beautifully written, colorful characters, amazing stories in there. It's not so much a uh, practitioner's guide to city management because it is more of a memoir, but I can tell you that anybody who picks up this book will be enthralled. I mean, it, it is a really good read and you're a really good writer, Gabe. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. My previous endeavors in writing 
were in Mrs. Vanskell's third grade class. So there was a uh, young authors competition, my third grade class, Jefferson Elementary, which is in Ionia County, Michigan. They gave us these blank picture books to, to all the students. And then if you want to participate, you write your own story and then illustrate it. The class must have been uh, exceptionally dull that year because I, I won for third grade. Got to go to this writing seminar geared towards grade school kids. You know, since age eight, I, I've just been thrilled with uh, the idea of writing, uh, but really hadn't practiced a whole lot until the past couple of years. Lifelong reader. I remember clearly also around age eight, and, and I'm raised in a rural environment when I got my library card. That, that was kind of like a life-changing moment because the world is like unlocked uh, to right. a person. And this is pre-internet kids, any of the kids listening at home, this is pre-internet. So you didn't have <laughs> access to all this. You had to go to an actual yeah. place to get information. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, and where I was raised in, in rural areas, you know, internet was kind of late to the game. And then by the time I was in high school, we had dial up, but of course that's slow and spotty service and that sort of thing. So, you know, fast forward, uh, 30-ish years, I had lived with my best friend's grandmother in Sugarland, Texas for about four years. So Say, say that again, with, Gabe, say that again for the people in the back. You, you're living with who now? You're, you're in your 20s, yeah, so, you're living with who? So, yeah, 20, 20-something uh, unmarried guy is living with an 80-something-year-old woman. Really, really strange. But, you know, people that know me, hey, you got to own who you are. I'm, I'm an awkward dude. And that's, and I'm okay with that. Right. I mean, part of maturity is maybe accepting who you are, what you're who about, you are. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so what had happened and I spent the first six years of my career working for the city of Sugarland, uh, for those unfamiliar Southwest of Houston, which was amazing. Uh, a godsend went in the lottery because the city was growing quickly, very affluent, a lot of big projects, kind of once in a career type projects. And I just really loved all the people that I worked with. It wasn't a job. It was like my entire life. And the people that I worked with were like my family. So I uh, got to become very close with, uh, he was a director at the time when we first met at a Texas City Management Association uh, meeting. This is Mike Goodrum, so, right? Mike, Mike Goodrum. Yep. So we first met at a, uh, a TCMA conference, I should say, in, in Austin and just really hit it off. So he's from a rural area, small city, kind of south of Houston, and had some common interests in that sort of thing. So fast forward, I got uh, coming back from this conference where I met Mike. This is uh, June of 2009. I broke down with an old car that I traded a cow for, which in rural America, you know, the barter economy is alive and well. I can't tell you how many times I've traded for goods or services. <laughs> it's just how it works. So, yeah. So he bails me out, tows my junk car. And over the next couple of years, we get to be really close. And Mike's seven years older than me. And, you know, he's like an older brother to me. And he's more established, right? He's got a, you know, his career yeah. more established. His family's more established. All this stuff, right? Yep. And, absolutely. And and meanwhile, you're uh, living in some, I don't want to, some beat down apartment complex yeah, or something so, where you got some guy who's uh, stealing your laundry or something. What's yeah. That? So so I'm living, uh, Sugarland's a magical, Sugarland, Texas is a magical place. It is one of a kind, just a beautiful community. It's an aspirational community, right? You you want to grow up and say, someday I want to live in Sugarland, Texas. And, and I found all this just amazing. 
but it also really, um, I had imposter syndrome because in, in my heart of hearts, I, I'm a small town guy. I'm a, I'm yep. a farm guy, you know, and I thought I don't deserve to be here. This is a, a strange new world that I don't belong in, but I get over that. So I lived very few apartments in Sugarland or multifamily, or at least anything that was affordable when I was there. So I lived in a older apartment complex south of Sugarland, Rosenberg, Texas. Really had no problems living there. And again, my job working for the city, started as a budget analyst, was my life. I volunteered for every single parks event. I went to city council meetings, planning and zoning commission meetings, not because I had to, but because I felt like that's the initiative and sweat equity I had to put in to, right. to kind of prove myself. Let, let's so, unpack that a little. Uh, let's unpack that a little bit, Gabe, yeah. because we do have, you know, I do have management analysts who still listen to me or or whatnot, and some uh, some up and comers who are aspiring to be city managers. And you know, one of the things that came through loud and clear in your book is that you were a grinder, that you put the work in and time in, and you're a big believer in fully immersing yourself in your community or your organization, I should say, when you're working your way up the ladder, and talk about, hey, when you're young and up and coming take on all the responsibility you can get, right? Just don't say, don't say no to anything. Just take any project you can, especially the, and I've talked about this too before on my LinkedIn and other podcasts, I believe it's like the way you really, I think, climb the ladder is you take on the task and, and jobs that nobody else wants to do. And that's how you make a name for yourself, grow your profile within the organization. Is that a fair statement? No, uh, that's a hundred percent correct. And, and advice that was shared with me is, you know, if you want to be a city manager, which just a small kind of digression, but when I was at UNT, I had initially intended to become a teacher and had, you know, sort of aligned my entire uh, life, mapping it out to be a teacher, have summers off, raise livestock, that sort of thing. I found before I entered student teaching that teaching just wasn't it. And then when I found city management, which I kind of outlined in the book, farmer that I worked for, just a great guy said, Hey, what about the city management thing? It was like, uh, cavemen discovering fire. This right. is amazing and life-changing. And I just was so focused and I just, I saw myself having a career, being able to make a difference, being community-minded, all these things that I, I, I still value to this day. But advice when I was an intern in the city of Denton in the budget office, I started as a volunteer, was unpaid because I didn't have a car at the time. Advice that was shared to me is to volunteer for everything that the name of the game, if you want to progress, is not necessarily a title or, you know, an apartment or something. It's taking on more responsibility. And there's a number of ways you can do that. So I have friends that have gone to uh, rural communities, small, have been very successful, and then have chosen to go to other communities that might be larger. I've had uh, friends who have stayed in affluent city like Sugarland and just waited their turn which it's tough in a, in a place like Sugarland because it pays really well. It's very prestigious and you're not going to leave, right? And, and so sometimes you're going to have to wait, wait it out. Well, that's the challenge, right? Because if you're in a really well-run organization that's humming along, a lot of people don't want to leave that organization because it's a good environment. But if no one's leaving, how are you moving up? That, that's the, the double-edged sword, sword of it all. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. And and I think at some level for uh, early career folks or maybe students, if they're listening, there's a real clear distinction, in my opinion, between folks that really want to be city manager or, or folks that are 
kind of of the mind. Yeah, if it comes along, I'll take it. I mean, I, I always knew I really wanted to be the city manager. And I knew that it would be practical and important for me to progress through each rank, being a program manager and a director and assistant city manager. But when I talk to students, sometimes, you know, they'll say like, well, I might want to be an assistant city manager. But I, I think you kind of know if, you know, being in the big chair is right for you, which because I had struck out in my initial plans of teaching, I just had sort of had that uh, existential crisis <laughs> already. Yeah. And I was really yeah. laser focused. So I already kind of sorted that battle out in, in my, my mind. But, you know, right place, right time, which I, I really wrote about in the book. You can't plan these things. But Sugarland was amazing because city manager at the time really cared about young people. He really gave people opportunities if they proved themselves you know, willing and, and capable. And, seem, and in the book, and, it seemed like he really enjoyed even being that sort of, I know it's got a negative connotation nowadays, but that, that paternalistic mentor type figure, yeah. like sort of, he yeah. enjoyed being that. I think he, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever done any Little League coaching or anything like that, Gabe. I know you have some you know, young kids and, and whatnot, yeah. but, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed when I was a, a Little League coach is just watching young young kids who maybe just starting out, never even thrown a ball before, progressing to the point where they could actually achieve some competency. And I I think there's a lot of individuals in our profession who get a lot of personal satisfaction and fulfillment out of watching others grow and develop under them or within organizations. And it sounds like Alan's one of those individuals. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe my second year, second or third year at Sugarland, he won a Texas City Management Association uh, mentoring award, which we kind of grouped together and did a combined application or nomination. And but yeah, he really cared. And, you know, you get to a certain level and, and I, I think that's the mark of a, a you know, a really strong leader is, is how much they want to invest in others when they don't have to. And so Alan, uh, city manager of a top 25, let's say city management gig nationwide by, by anybody's scorecard, he, he doesn't have to spend time with some dude from Easton Township, Michigan over coffee, but he, he did. And, yeah. and I am very grateful he did the same for, for Mike and many others. So he was, uh, I tell people he's, he's like a fun uncle, but maybe like a crazy uncle because <laughs> he's, he was very demanding as yeah. a, as a manager. He, he was very much driven. And a lot of it was the culture of Sugarland to be the best. We're going to be the best in everything. And, yeah. and that was a great mindset to have early on in my career. So uh, I'm in this, living situation, which honestly, I just slept in, in my apartment. It was uh, 400 bucks a month, which, uh, you know, red flag number one, that apartment would be, would be that inexpensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, it was modest. I, I was not married. I, I didn't need much more. So I, I really had no problems. I spent as much as my free time in Sugarland, either volunteering or doing whatever as possible, even on the weekends. This guy moves in. It's kind of shady. So um, I'm yeah. coming back from, used to play pickup basketball with some people I worked with, which was fun. I, I'm somewhat tall, but I, I have no athletic prowess. I mean, they asked me to play basketball out of like sympathy. It's like the schoolyard, you know, do I really they have need, to pick They that? needed to fill out a roster, right? They needed yeah, to that's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Came back from playing basketball and this guy, 
I, I had to go up some stairs to my apartment and I had to kind of shove this guy. So he's smoking a cigarette, kind of blows smoke in my face and says something to the effect of, oh, you're a working man. I bet you just... You know, is this dude, is this dude a tweaker? Is he some drug user? Does he sound <laughs> yeah, like a very sketchy character? I, I really think he's he's on something, and I think that he was probably dealing something as well. Right? People are always coming and going, and it was it was strange. So we had this little run in. I then there was a coin operated laundry, you know, washers and dryers in the complex. So people would steal my loads. You know, they'd take my wet clothes out of the dryer. That's who just, does I I hate that by the way. It's like who does yeah. that? It's like so not only is it creepy because you don't know who's doing it, but I mean unsettling. So I thought, you know what? I'll be the better person. I love change out. So I would uh, leave change out and if somebody wants to steal my washer or dryer time, then I'll I'll pay for it. So it kind of goes away for a little bit. Well, then I catch this guy taking my clothes wet clothes out, yeah. you know, throwing them on a concrete floor. And a, we all know it's a very clean concrete floor, right? We all know that yeah. those, con- those laundry yeah. concrete floors are very clean. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm also convinced that he's not right. He's, he's doing something shady, all around creepy. So uh, I think I was like a, like a straight cat to Mike and his family is I would just hang out with him a lot on the weekend. So he had young kids, which I thought, you know, always want to have a family, which now very fortunate to to be married and, and have four four kids. Well, because uh, Gabe, I, it's in, in all fairness, right? If if someone reads the book, they're gonna they're gonna quickly find that you're not exactly uh, Mister Smooth Operator, ladies man, yeah. going out to the clubs. You are that you're not. That's yeah. not the that's not who uh, <laughs> that's not Gabe Rayom, right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, anybody that knows me would would know that pretty quickly, but but that's absolutely correct. So. You know, I've luckily been married to the only person I've ever really dated. Yeah, I, I'm not nightclub guy. Yeah, this is not my scene. Here's Gabo playing Candyland with some five-year-olds or something on a Saturday and regaling Mike with stories about the laundry stealers and all the other yeah. shenanigans going on, right? So Yeah, no, absolutely. So some of the some of the really happy memories I had with, with Mike and his family is his kids, uh, we'd play on, on uh, trampoline in their backyard and like, just for hours. I had so much fun. His oldest daughter is now at uh, Texas A&M University. And, you know, she still remembers those days. And it was fun. It was like I was a some sort of fun uncle or something, which is a great role to play. So anyway, Mike would at that time kind of duck out here and there on weekends. I came to find out he was taking care of his grandmother who had uh, recently uh, fallen and broken her back, had surgery. So, you know, I'm sort of telling him, my poor me sob story, you know, this shady dude, I've got to get out of this place. He jokingly says, you know, you keep the same hours as my grandmother, get up really early, go to bed pretty early. Why don't you move in with her? So this is like on a Saturday or something. By the next day or Monday, I said, look, I will, I'm willing to meet her. She would rent me a room. I'll, you know, I'll do whatever needs to be done. And so- Sight unseen, right? Now you've never met this guy, Yeah, right? I, I had never met her. But clearly she's got to be better than uh, living with the tweaker, right? And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. He arranges a meeting. And the first time I meet her, her name is Joan. She kind of like holds my face and kisses me on the cheek. I'm like, oh, wow. You know, hello. Yeah. yeah. And we just, we hit it off. Like when I was reading your book, so your book is a memoir 
and it's divided right. into two sections. And I would divide it into before Joan and after Joan. That's sort of like the the, the way the That's book is divided it. up, right? And right. for those of you who are listening to this podcast, so uh, at the beginning of this episode, you heard a clip of Joan leaving a voicemail message to Gabe before he was going to a big uh, moment in his career. And you get a taste of what she sounds like. But I can tell you that if you read this book, just reading about her is worth the price of admission because this woman is such a beautiful, fascinating, hilarious character, entertaining, loving woman. I mean, she's amazing. Sorry to steal some of your yeah. thunder there, Gabe, but no, she's phenomenal. And man, yeah. I just, I was just dying reading some of these passages. Joan, Joan is, she's one of a kind, just an amazing person. And that's basically the gist of the book that like, there's people out there that will help you. You just got to keep going, which, you know, I think in, in city management, this is not a contest of who's the most brilliant or who's the most capable or distinguished. I think it's, it's really cliche, but a lot of city management is right place, right time, being a good fit. Uh, and that's both ways, both with the, you know, the council and the community and then with your city as well. So I, I just lucked out by chance that, that Joan had had a medical issue. She broke her back, needed some help. So I meet her. She kisses me. Um, she's a, a, a gardener, uh, just a master gardener. Showed me her garden, which was really cool. I move in, which I'm happy to pack my stuff up, which if you're in your 20s and unmarried, you could pretty well pack that in the back of a car. Yeah, two cars. Yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah. I, I didn't I didn't have much. And, and that's kind of nice. I uh I'm pretty cheap. I actually, I bought a uh, futon mattress when I moved to Denton to attend the University of North Texas. So I still had the futon mattress. That's what I was sleeping on. And then when I, when I moved in with Joan, I had a room that had an actual bed and I thought, wow, this is amazing. Moving on up in the world, actually, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. An actual bed. <laughs> but uh, so moved in quickly and, and she, uh, she just had the best sense of humor and she says to me, and I'm, you know, feeling it out. We had never really established how much rent was going to be. I had this strong conviction to be valuable and kind of prove my worth. I mean, I feel the same way about city management. I feel like if I'm not providing value, then I shouldn't be taking up space. We hadn't settled that. And she says the the first night I moved in, she said, you know, I'm going to go to bed and if uh, if you want to bring a young lady to your room, I, I just wouldn't know. I thought, I was, oh my god, you know? I was dying so, when I gave. I was dying yeah. when I heard that. You know, she reminds yeah. me a little bit of uh, like uh, Betty White or something. Like you know, with the whole oh, like yeah. you know, like the whole yeah. um, ladylike, but also kind of like honoriness to her. You know what I mean? And yeah. a little bit like yeah, you know, like it's it's she was man. I gotta tell you, folks, honestly, get the book. Just to read yeah. about Joan, she's amazing. No, no disrespect to any other characters in the book or your story, Gabe, but she is yeah. a great character. And was this really like an homage to her? Was that like was this? I mean, was this primarily trying to almost like I don't know? Because she she left such a huge impression on you. I almost get yeah. the sense that in many ways this book was a way of you almost like expressing gratitude or thanks for her coming into your life more so than anything else. Is that a fair assessment on my part? No, absolutely. And, and I can kind of kind of walk you through the events that had triggered it. So, you know, I can't even repeat some of the uh, the ribbing and, uh, you know, joking with my coworkers when everyone finds out, you know, that you live with an old lady. Yeah. It'd be hellacious. 
Yeah, you moved in with Gudrun's grandmother, and then uh, you know Rosita, who is uh, someone I worked with. She sort of was like a mother figure to me. She says, "Does Gudrun call you Grandpa?" You know, it's just crazy. <laughs> but uh, I would have finished out my career in Sugarland, Texas, died in my office, and you know maybe they put a plaque to honor my years of service in a, a bathroom stall or some, you know, out of the way, play, whatever. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a sugar land. I'm a company you, man. Yeah. And you don't require uh, much. You're, you're a pretty humble yeah, guy. It. You're salt of the earth That's guy. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, we kind of talked about, but sugar land is, is a place that if it's your desire to move up, it's not going to be the fastest route because it's great. And people don't leave if, if they don't have to. So I got married. I I outlined in the book, I met my wife, Corey, at a a Texas City Management Association conference. Mike was involved. He says, look, uh, I can't explain how or why, but I think this girl's into you and you got to buy her a drink. So, you know, he gives me money to do that. And the rest is history. There's a midnight taco run, which Alan liked to eat tacos in the evenings and some fun stuff. Well, the funny part, though, is that uh, Mike is the the instigator in this whole thing, right? Because he basically tells Corey to go chaperone you on this run so you don't screw up the order yeah. for Alan, right? And everyone else. That's Yeah, that's absolutely right. So we're at a, a conference and, and, you know, I'm driving Alan's vehicle and, uh, you know, Mike kind of puts it together and says, hey, Corey, go go with this guy. You can see he's clearly an idiot. He needs help. And, <laughs> you know, which is uh, tr- absolutely and, true. And she took pity and, on your poor soul, right? She, she did. Yeah. And we, we kind of hit it off and, and then uh, kind of kept in touch. But uh, so fast forward, Corey and I had gotten married that following year. I, in the worst way, selfishly, looking back on it now, very selfishly, wanted her to move to Sugarland, which life is hard. And, and being married, it's not a walk in the park and it's not some dime romance novel. You know, yeah. It's, it's challenging. It's, it's it's tough, right? I mean, yeah. Um, and uh, and and it's the spoiler a little bit too. I mean, uh, Corey w- was in a previous relationship, previous marriage, and she had children. So, um, correct. You're you're when you talk about selfish, you're saying, "Hey, man, I'm really I'm really loving Sugarland. It's a great place for yeah. me. I I love it here." But you know, there's and also she's living with her mother uh, um, at the time of this. So you're right. It's a very challenging situation to ask a mother to move her entire family to, um, yeah. you know, out of the area. So you, yeah, so, so you end up having to, you end up having to, to, to make the move essentially to be with her. You're right. So at the time when we got married, you know, we're one big happy family now. It doesn't matter that the older kids, you know, they're not your biological children, the yeah. biological. Yeah. Uh, and this is yeah. something Joan in her wisdom helped me deal with because her husband, who is Mike's grandfather, raised um, her son, who was not his biological yeah. son, but yeah. adopted him. And, and, you know, she told me, and I can, I can remember it clearly, look, a father is whoever shows up and whoever's there. It's not yeah. a DNA test or something like that. And that was really important. My oldest boy is not my biological son, and I've raised yeah. him since he was three years old, and that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's it's not who's contributing the DNA; it's who's there, who's present, who's making a you know impact on that person's life. No, you're right. Yeah. So again, a father is who's there and who shows up, and I'm never going to use the term stepfather. I, I think it's it makes me bristle. But yeah, you know, 
our kids are our kids and I'm always going to be there. So, right. yeah. So the first year, and I wouldn't recommend this, the first year we were married, Corey was working for the council of governments in North Texas, really loving her job there, doing well, had been promoted at a time or two. I'm still in Sugarland, selfishly thinking, you know what, at some point I'm going to win this war of attrition and she's going to move down to Houston. So, um, <laughs> which between Sugarland to uh, where, uh, where we lived in Denton, eventually lived in Denton, was right about five hours. Now, one thing I would say uh, to early career folks is city management, it's a 24-7 cycle. And if it's someone's desire to have a neat and clean 40-hour work week, Wrong this is work. not your... Yeah, it's not your gig, uh, yeah. especially the higher up you go, which I found you sort of always need to be available. Uh, thankfully, Alan and, and Mike and others I work for recognize that I, I put my time in and I was able to take off pretty much around lunchtime on Fridays, drive to Denton, spend the weekend with Corey and the kids for like the first year we're married. Then comes our youngest daughter. She just turned nine. And uh, she was born, gosh, in 14, uh, 2014, September of 2014. In fact, the book release date, September 12th, is her birthday. So, Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Little birthday present to Rosie. So Joan had helped me. I, I can't, I tried to do it justice and, I, and it did poor justice to the wisdom and the love that she was able to convey to me. I don't think that's true, Gabe. I think your book is so touching and it came, your love and your appreciation and your gratitude for her coming into your life comes through loud and clear to me as someone who doesn't know your story. I want you to rest assured, Gabe, you did very well in presenting her impact on you and your life. And I, I it's almost a love story to Joan. Uh, and I don't yeah. think- uh, and I, I think that's a legitimate thing to say. I mean, she was an amazing woman and I can tell, yeah. and I'm sure Mike and others in the family will appreciate your homage to her. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I said this actually at a conference where I was kind of speaking about being a dad and being a city manager and uh, I sort of foot and mouth. I regretted the words, but I, I said at this conference, she, she really made me a man. And I yeah. meant that as, as a, a being mature, not, you know, you know, some other, uh, some other connotation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, you know, she really did. And, and I wrote about this in the book, but the way, except on the weekends, the way we communicated is she would leave a little writing pad out on a coffee table and we would write each other notes because I'd be at work by seven. And I always want to be the first one in mostly because I'm just up early. That's yeah. It's a genetic curse. I'm up at 4.30 or 5. So I'd write her a little note if she needed something, milk or, you know, some little errand, do that. And then we'd really have kind of good conversations or do errands on the weekend. But she just kind of helped me deal with some of these struggles emotionally. And I remember her clearly telling me, your life and any any new uh, parent or expecting couple, here's the same advice. Your life is going to change when you when you hold a baby for the first time, my life changed when I got married and I had a first grader and a three-year-old that always wanted to be around me, which was yeah. awesome. You know, now they're teenagers and it's like the opposite. Get away Not so much. You. Yeah. Yeah. Leave yeah. me alone. Yeah. But, you know, they, they know that I'm there when, when they need me. And 
And that's what Joan says. Uh, Joan says like they just need to they kids just need to know that you're there, right? That they're absolutely. always going to be there, and that you're always going to be supporting them. And and she gives us very uh, down home uh, simple yeah. messages that are time tested, right? That are that that's are right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So she she helped me work through these things, and she, you know she told me about when you have that baby, it's it's really going to change, and, and nothing she ever told me was she incorrect about. You know she was right when Rosie was born. I held her and I, uh, you know, not to be preachy, but I, f- I felt the presence of, of God. I really yeah. did. Yeah. Holding a newborn baby. Gabe, for the sake of the audience, like this was not a six month roommate situation. You were there. I think you and Joan like lived together for like six years or something like that. I mean, this was like a yeah, long, so, rela- this was a long, serious relationship that you guys shared. This wasn't a temporary yeah. thing. So I worked in Sugarland for six years. I lived with Joan for four uh, okay. And then Corey and I were married the last year I lived with Joan. And honestly, Joan, I had to get over myself, but she was preparing me to, although the arrangement was not meant for me to be a permanent caretaker, I, I at, at some point pretty early on, I felt like, you know, she's my own grandmother. I felt like I couldn't leave her, which again, that was nothing Mike ever forced upon me or right. his family. It was never an expectation. It's just, that was a relationship we kind of, had. But then I realized it's time for me to move on to the next phase of your life. To, to move on. Yeah. yeah. And she really, she really helped me with that. She, and she embraced some, that. I mean, she, she, she did. She what did. was great about what was yeah. great about, and uh, like, you know, when you read the book, you quickly learn in the book that this was not a transactional relationship. It was not a relationship that was one way traffic. This was right. a, a genuine symbiotic relationship between two people in vastly different stages of their life. And she taught you so many things and you helped her. And the thing that really warmed my heart when I was reading your book, is just how much she was just a diehard supporter of you. Right. I mean, she was just like, I mean, she was team Gabe all the way. Right. And that's just, that's just gotta be amazing to know that no matter what, I mean, cause you, I mean, you talk about in the book, how you literally would talk to her before, many of these important events in your career, like presentations yeah. and whatnot. And, you know, it's yeah. like, it was a fascinating relationship. Yeah. She, you know, she was just a tremendously uh, positive person, tremendously infectiously positive. So she would always say, go get him tiger. And she'd tell that to Mike. And when I heard those words, it's like, there's nothing I couldn't do, you know? Yeah. And this is someone who, you know, I wrote about she and, and anyone who's lived for 80 plus years, you encounter your share of, uh, of trials Challenges. and tribulations. Yep, absolutely. But, you know, she lost her, her husband quite unexpectedly. You know, her mother uh, was, was killed when she was a young woman. She had had a, a lot thrown at her, but it, just her resilience was amazing. You know, so her husband, Mike's grandfather, who was uh, older than her, uh, by some amount of years, uh, self-employed, worked iron. Um, she referred to him as an old, old German. So, right. you know, kind of a, you know, this, this hard, hard driving, but also supremely kind person who, you know, was gone long before I ever, uh, I never met him. Uh, but she's left without him and, and, you know, had to 
take care of herself. She had to reinvent herself. You kind of talk about how she has to reinvent herself essentially, right? Yeah. And so she, she had their their farm, which was in Manville, South of Houston to kind of take care of after uh, uh, Bill, her husband had passed away on kind of a whim. She uh, starts making jewelry. It becomes a passion and the human endeavor is such that I, I think all of us, we can do, Anything we set our minds to, but we can't do everything. So what becomes your passion and your driving force? If you're concentrating all of your being toward that end, you're going to get somewhere. Yeah. You know, city management was that way when I found out about city management. I just thought, I can do this and I have a desire to do this. And everything I wanted to, all my free time, I wanted to learn about. I wanted to hear from people. But Joan reinvents herself by making jewelry. And so she would watch this uh, television network, Jewelry Television. Once a week, they had this program called Jewel School. And it is like she's going to a lecture. You know, she's preparing notes. She's writing down a diagram of what she's learning. And I just always appreciated that about her because she was so passionate and always wanted to learn even in her eighties. And you talked about too, like she was so curious, right? She just had a, she, right. and she talks about, you know, having a zest for life and just wanting right. to just have a curiosity about the world. Right. I mean, I think a lot of, yeah. I think, I think a lot of us, as we age, we lose some of that childlike curiosity or fascination with the things around us. And she just seemed to be so just such an infectiously positive person yeah. and open to new things. Right. Like she, you know, and you know, I, 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 I gotta say, you know, when I was reading your book, um, Gabe, I could tell that you have a, a positive mindset and the way outlook and optimism that you, how you outlook. Um, there's a, there's an optimism to how you approach life and so forth. One that's a little bit foreign to me. Cause I have a, I've had a little bit more of a pessimistic sort of uh, maybe realistic viewpoint. If you, you know, depending on how you want to say yeah. things like, you know, uh, people say, why are you so pessimistic? Joe? I'm like, I'm not pessimistic. I'm just realistic. But uh, you know, <laughs> right. you know, but you know, I've had some different life experiences. You know, your parents worked in a prison. My parents were in prison. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. a little bit of a different yeah. dynamic. And, um, but what I found fascinating about your story is that you have this overwhelming sense of optimism, this positive mindset, this belief that good things are going to happen. You know, you talk about in the book, in one section, that there's only two things we can control, our thoughts and our actions. It's so true, right? And I think a lot of us, we need to understand that, you know, we can control our happiness and we can control how we look at things or by what we're thinking and what we're putting into our brain, right? Or it was interesting because, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of us engage in negative self-talk. And I think that's something that you might've, you know, reading your book, that's something you kind of maybe did a little bit earlier in your life because you had some weight issues and some struggles with some of your background. And, and um, at some point you were able to um, correct that and fix that in college through some, uh, a fascinating story with one of your college roommates. And, you know, it's have that positive mindset and outlook on things that can really take you to the next level. And it comes through not only through your upbringing with all the different characters that you meet. I mean, hell, the title of your book is Strangers and Angels, right? And it's like you have all these – you see all the positive of all these different interactions with people that you only briefly meet for a moment in time versus somebody you've also spent four-plus years with getting to know. And you have this amalgam of characters uh, that create this really beautiful – 
tapestry or not. I don't know. I'll get too flowery here. Uh, you're the writer. You're the writer in this interview, not me. But um, you know, it's like this amazing combination of all these characters that come together in your life that that give you this really positive outlook on things. Yeah. And I think that's something that we maybe we need that now more than ever, especially being in city management when things have gotten so volatile and so partisan and so um, negative at times. Yeah, absolutely. The the thoughts and actions. I mean, that's that's Stoic philosophy, uh, Marcus Aurelius, and I, it really applies to city management and local government. But it's easier said than done. So, no city manager. You can never control a city council or a mayor completely right. or, you know, there's and, and I think a lot of the struggle is having the right personality to be able to deal with that. Yeah. The job is tremendously rewarding, you know, as you know, otherwise you wouldn't have been involved. But it's, you know, it's not for everyone. Our mayor in, in Saginaw is really I, I tell people he's like the, uh, the anti-mayor. So he's trained as a research scientist. He's a tremendously introverted person. He really doesn't like attention. So like staff, we have to say, hey, Mayor, we've got a ribbon cutting. You've got to show up. And he'll say things like, do I have to? Yeah. yeah people want yeah. to see the mayor, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you, you're really lucky when you have personalities that are, that are really there for great reasons and, and want to serve the community. And, but I think that people listening, you've just got to, you've got to understand that there's things that you can control and that, that there's things that you can't control and make the best of it, especially in city management. I think a lot of us sort of get bogged down. I think I'm guilty of this too, uh, yeah. by getting frustrated or just overanalyzing the things that we can't control, right? I mean, how often right. do we allow things that we can't control to negatively impact our mindset or our being or just what we're doing, you know? And um, I think yeah. uh, that's something that I can tell through your book and your writing that you have done a lot of work on as far as your own personal development. You know, there's also yeah. this interesting passage uh, interesting section of your book uh, where you're talking to a gentleman, I think it's Burke. I forget his name it might be Burke. And you're talking about how uh, you just can't wait for it to be Friday. It's, you know, maybe it's a Monday uh, yeah. or Tuesday. And he says, you know, son, don't ever wish your life away. Right. Every yeah. day is Friday. And that goes back to that mindset that you're talking about. Right. So, I mean, I, I mean, I know we're human beings and we can't always yeah. literally have every day be Friday. You genuinely attempt to make uh, everyday Friday for yourself, right? I mean, by having that positive outlook. That little moment with Burke, who was, a, I, I was a student worker. He was kind of a military guy, kind of gruff. And I, that may have been the only time I talked to him. Uh, I was a little scared of him. You know, he was just really stern and speak when spoken to type. But yeah, that, he really grabbed a hold of me. I said, you know, sir, I just wish it was Friday. And he just looked me dead in the eye. Don't ever wish your, wish your life away. And, and that really stuck with me all these years later. And, and you just never know. So whatever challenge you're going through, your listeners going through now, you've got to understand that it's preparing you for something. It may not be pleasant at the time. I read the articles about terminations. You do a great job of, of sharing that. City managers get, get beaten up all the time. A rational person has to admit if you do this long enough that that's going to happen to all of us. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's it's tough. And again, I don't think the job, it, it's a personality fit and a, and a mindset, really. And, and then as well, a, a good connection with the community and the governing body and kind of the mechanical side of things. But I knew my time with Joan was 
it was borrowed time. I finally decided to to leave Sugarland, which was tough. You know, that's like uh, leaving home, right? That's like moving out yeah, of the yeah. house. I mean, uh, going to college or something. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was tough, but you know, after Rosie was born, especially, I think I lasted four months after she was born. It just it was a big decision that was not a big decision. I, I yeah. knew I had to be with Corey and, and the kids. So Joan helped me through that. I, I think looking back, had I stayed in Sugarland, I probably would have been a, a director, pretty confident by now. I'm not so sure I'd be an assistant city manager. Definitely would be would not be city manager like Mike is today. Uh, so leaving Sugarland was really tough, but also a great both personal and professionally, a great move. Yeah. Um, so Gabe, your book that you wrote, Strangers and Angels, isn't exactly like a practitioner's guide to city management or what have you, but there are some little nuggets in there that you've you picked up over the years or from your experience when it came to progressing through your career that I think would offer some insight to some aspiring city managers. You know, you had a funny story in the book about how you would kind of ballsy actually when you think about it, but you would you would cut out these buy one, get one free lunch offers and you would take them into work and you would hand them out to department heads and other people in the organization. And you said, hey, you buy lunch, I'll come for free. And you use that as like a networking opportunity and almost like a, to get, you know, learn more about the organization and develop your career. Can you talk more about that and how that, like how that came about and just that experience? Yeah, happy to. So one of the errands I would, would do each week with Joan was grocery shopping. So in Texas, there's a chain called HEB and HEB's just awesome. They have the best house brand, their coffee's great. Joan is very thrifty, as am I. We do some coupon clipping and that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I thought I had this idea. I, I really wanted to get to know people in the city, especially the, the directors on up, which my position as a bun, budget analyst was cool because, you know, I was there to support all these departments and it was great. I could learn about lots of different departments. So kind of as a joke, I think I started with the parks director. I gave him a buy one, get one free coupon and said, hey, you go get lunch and I'll get the free one and let's talk. <laughs> it worked out well and, you know, kind of human nature. People like talking about their experiences. I mean, it's kind of why you and I are here. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it worked out well. It just really paid dividends. So I got to know the police chief in that manner, uh, the fire chief, emergency management coordinator. And then it got to a certain point where like, you know, at least at the directors are like, okay, have you bought this, this dude lunch yet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the cool thing about our profession. So if you're a student or you're a management analyst or some early stage in your career, I promise you, you can call someone up within the city manager sphere and say, Hey, could I pick your brain or could we go to lunch? And they're going to be more than happy to share their experience. Um, I, I agree with you, Gabe, and I think there's a I think there's yeah. a lot of people who are aspiring city managers who are listening to this podcast think that a lot of city managers are untouchable, and they're not yeah. untouchable. They're not. They're not. I mean, there might be a few here and there. I've yet to I have yet to meet personally. I've yet to have any interaction with a city manager who has big time me or or acted like they were too good for me or anything like that. I, I it the exact opposite. So many city managers, so many individuals in this profession in general, whether it's department heads, assistant city managers, are so eager to help and so eager to impart their knowledge or whatnot. It goes back to just taking action, right? Being proactive, taking showing the initiative, 
And if you show that initiative, if you take that action, it's hard to tell someone no, right? People don't like to say absolutely. no to other people, right? So it's like, you know, yeah. <laughs> what's the yeah, harm? If, you you got to go eat lunch, Mr. Department Head or Mrs. Department Head. So why not just right. give me the free one and we'll just, you know, have a, a mutually beneficial yeah. lunch. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it, it it started as a joke that, that, you know, ended up working out well. But I, I just thought that was a fascinating little uh, insight or tidbit, I, I, a little nugget. I don't know if there's a lot of buy one get one coupons nowadays with the uh, yeah. with the with the with the way prices have gone up and in inflation. You might need sure, to do, sure. uh, buy one and I'll pay for fifty percent off coupon. I don't know. Right. But I, I love that. That was a little gem, a little nugget, especially for the aspiring city managers out there and those working their way up through the ranks. You know, going through Sugarland and becoming a city manager yourself, do you have any other nuggets of wisdom or advice for those who are young in their career, like a management analyst or not, or even a department head who wants to get to a city manager level? Anything that you've seen over the years that you would sort of say, hey, you know, this is what stood out to me when I look at other people who are advanced through the rank. I tell your listeners this, the best proving ground, in my opinion, for a city manager coming up is public works. This was something that Alan Bogard preached to Mike, myself, because in public works, you have to deal with all sorts of people. You deal with contractors, you deal with complaints from the public, you deal with professional positions like engineers and architects and that sort of thing. You deal with people out in the field. There's nothing more bread and butter or rubber meets the road in public service than than public works. Yeah, I, I really believe that. You want to be the person that always takes on a special project, you know, even if it's not the most convenient or what have you. I'll tell you what worked out for me. I I volunteered to work on the mayor's youth council in Sugarland. In my level, even when I left, I had pretty limited contact with elected officials. Sugarland's a large organization, very smooth system where really the, as it should be, the elected officials corresponded pretty much with the city manager and the city manager's office almost exclusively. Right now, if you're in a department, you spoke with the mayor or council members as needed, but very limited. I was able to get early exposure to the mayor, at least as a volunteer with the youth council, which was super fun. We had high school kids. We would do tours throughout the city and the mayor got to know me a little bit. And then, you know, he would see me at meetings. That's, that's another thing advice wise, show up to meetings. I find this puzzling. Some student or early career, you want to be a city manager. How many city council meetings have you attended in your own city? If the answer is less than your fingers and toes, you need to fix that. I mean, you need to show up. It's important just for observational purposes to see how the council works, how the council thinks, how staff presenters are received. You know, I was uh, not like I was taking, you know, Jones level of detailed notes related to jewelry making, but observing these things was important you know yeah you know Gabe I I posted something recently on my LinkedIn about you know it was it was something along the lines of it was a little story about a city manager who was kind of going toe-to-toe with a governing body member in a public meeting and there was some you know combativeness there and I said the gist of my post was there are things that you can't learn in MPA school and there's things they don't teach you in MPA school and one of those things that you can't learn in MPA school really is that observational experience of seeing the nuance of how a city manager interacts with a governing body or things of that sort of nature, especially when there's something of contentiousness or if a a city manager might be holding a governing body member, a member of the governing body accountable for something that they're doing. And I think that's a really great point because 
it's not just about what you read in a book. It's not just about what you hear about. It's like, you got to get eyes on the environment that you're going to work in and also understand that all these different city council meetings that happen across the country, they all have their own different personality, their tone. And it's like, you're never going to see that in MPA school. It, it is so easy now to go in and sort of, you know, eavesdrop on cities all across the country and see what yeah. they're doing and how they're handling their meetings. So I think that's a, that's a great point about being more observational in your approach to city management profession. And again, back to passion, it's not going to feel like a chore or work if you're really interested. I was going to say, it's sort of a sad statement of affairs that Corey and I will watch council meetings in other cities. Just, you know, we heard some issue come up and as if we don't have enough of our own council meetings, but it's interesting. It's a, uh, a learning lab in, in democracy. And as you know, it's not always neat, clean, or, or pleasant. So right. the more you see, the better you're going to be prepared in the future, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why some of my postings on LinkedIn have gotten a lot of traction, too, is sort of I've gotten that you get to see a taste of what's going on around the country in all these different environments. And you know, one of the common things that I've been told is that you know a lot of city managers feel like, oh, I thought I was alone or I thought I was the only one dealing with something right. like this. And you learn like, no, well, there's a lot of craziness throughout the country. It's not yeah. just limited to, to your, your specific community. And I would say too, that even early on, if, if you're a student or early career, your, your colleagues are going to be, they're going to save you and your coworkers are going to save you. I mean, you've got to be able to have a network of people that, that build you up and lift you up. I certainly had that with Joan. Corey, while we're different uh, people, it's so nice to, to have her in particular, which it's oftentimes quite critical because we're different personalities, sort of shoot through some of these issues, you know, hey, what do you think of this or this situation now? And, and this is the hard part about the profession. A colleague can't guide you through from point A to point B because they don't know the lay of the land. They don't know the nuances, the political dynamic or, or what's in the background, which is super tough. That's that's why it's a difficult job and it will always be a difficult job. That's a very astute observation, uh, Gabe, because we talk about this being a lonely profession. Even when you have peers who are really the only ones that can relate to you and you have a spouse who obviously is a, who has city management experience as well. So that gives you a little bit of an extra sort of leg up in terms of having that ability to to navigate some of these waters. But man, you, you hit the nail on the head. Even when we have peers that we can talk to about our situation, we can't download them and give them the full comprehensive 360 degree overview of all the different components that go into the various factors that we're navigating as we decide what course of action we're going to take or how we're going to approach a certain issue. It's so challenging. There's not a lot of other occupations like this that you have to, and then you throw in the, just the, the social media element, right. And the public right. backlash or the public, you know, scrutiny that we're under from members of the public or the media, man, it's a very, very challenging, challenging environment. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You know, once I was finished with school, like the last thing I, I wanted to do was read another book, but I'm a pretty steady reader. I'm a very slow reader, but I find biographies, you know, everybody, I, I read a few months ago, a biography about uh, Ali, so Muhammad Ali. So everybody would recognize great boxer, right? Not everybody would recognize that there's a whole lot that happened before he was dancing under the lights, you know, a lot of pain, a lot of hardship. And it's cool to me to read biographies because, you know, we see some successful 
person, we think, oh, I just, I wish I had it like, like that. And then you peel that back and you see, oh, I don't know about that. that that's yeah. been a tough road. It's, it's so been a, a, and a good uh, a teacher. Uh, and I, I think that to be successful in city management, because it's a people-based profession, you've, you've got to be a learner and you've got to understand people and have that continuing desire. Yeah. Speaking of understanding people, in your book, you talk about how you made the switch to becoming a psychology major. Hmm. Do, you, yeah. do you feel that your psychology degree, has that paid any dividends for you in your career path of being a city manager? I'm curious about that aspect of your, your background. Psychology was neat, especially uh, like behavior analysis. I think there's some applications. We're not robots as human beings, and at least not completely, but we are. Not, not yet, not yet, I guess, right? Not yet, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not yet. But yeah, I think there's certainly a lot of like ah, five-minute magazine article level psychology that is kind of pop psychology, but yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, as city manager, you're thinking about how people would think, whether that's the community at large, your elected officials. Uh, one thing that I've sort of had to learn the hard way is that perception is reality. You can yeah. have a very logical, you know, methodical approach to a project or something. And, but if it's not perceived as such, you know, you're going to have to live with that. A, a council member who he's no longer on the city council, but he was sort of like a big brother. He, he beat me up a lot. Not, not literally, <laughs> figuratively, a smart, smart guy, project manager. And he told me one time, he said, look, you've got to explain this. He, he called it Walmart language. You've got to explain things in a manner where if you see somebody at Walmart, you can tell them what's going on in five minutes or less yeah. with as so few true. acronyms as, as possible. And I think yeah. that's really helped me. That's so true, Gabe. City managers, generally speaking, are high achieving individuals. Otherwise, you wouldn't reach to the level of city manager. They're generally very educated, right? We've been exposed to um, higher levels of you know, critical thinking and analysis and so forth and so on. Uh, we tend to be more logical than emotional or dispassionate. And right. that's one of the fascinating things about this line of work is that you have to take that skill set, but then also be aware that you got to bend it, massage it twisted around to compensate for all these other factors that happen in the city management profession that are sort yeah. of counter to those dynamics, right? The, you know, the Walmart speech, right? You know, there's a lot right. of individuals out there who they don't fully understand all the, all the lengths that you went through to get arrive at this conclusion and you're presenting sure. it to your governing body member, but they know they don't like the end result. They don't, they don't like the end right. uh, summary or recommendation. And then they show up at the right. council meeting and they want to beat you over the head of it. And you're like, you know, yeah. um, there was a city that's gone through this, this issue over a streetlight. Okay. And I just like, you know, the, the staff kept on telling the governing body that there's, our data, our studies show that there does not need to be a streetlight here. There was a temporary streetlight put in place. They were supposed to take for right. a construction project. They wanted to take it down. The community is in an uproar saying they want yeah. to have the street. And it's like, you know, and so, I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating three or four times. This matter kept on coming before the council and staff is saying, hey, these are the, this is the data. We don't need to have this, this light, but right. residents are showing up pissed off and the governing bodies will let's study it some more because you know they don't right. think, because there's the political dynamics of having upset residents and you know they vote there's so many different layers and nuances to being in the city management profession one of the things that i would probably throw into the mix of a discussion here is that if you are a very rigid person 
you're going to have some struggles and I have some rigidity to myself as well, Gabe. And I don't know yeah. if you want to put yourself in that category or not, but if you are a rigid person, you're going to put yourself in a lot of positions where you're going to struggle because the reality is, is that there's so many nuances and different competing pressures and dynamics to a city manager's life that it's just not always about two plus two equals four or if then, then this or whatever. It just doesn't work that way. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I think that anybody listening, it's better to recognize that or at least start thinking about it now than to be some years down the road and find yourself in a position where this is a vacation I'm taking to a destination I don't enjoy, you know? So it's a, it's much better uh, to have the existential crisis when you're a college yeah. student than when you're uh, 40 some years old or whatnot. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. uh, go through it, so. and you know, honestly, um, I have found because the job by its nature, it's stressful for everyone, but I have found, uh, writing to be a way for me to try to kind of unwind the book has been a lot of fun and I would be thrilled if I could kind of recover the costs I had in producing it with hiring a, I hired a professional editor and a professional proofreader, graphic designer. But, you know, I feel like I, when I got over myself and said, you know, I can do this, uh, which I really started having those thoughts after Joan passed away. I feel like writing the same with city management, you never really arrive. You never say, okay, uh, I'm, I'm done, right? Uh, I'm, I'm done. There's yeah. always a new challenge. I, I think that- I want to pack that a little bit, Gabe. So yeah. like, how many hours did it take? Did, I mean, you this this book is a, it's 250 some pages. It's a quick read. Like I said, it's not it's not right. like, you know, a very difficult read. And I don't mean that in a dismissive negative way. It's a, yeah. it's a fun read. It's, it's, it's riveting. Um, you have this great writing style, like I've said that before in our conversations, that just sort of draws the reader in. I, I was just captivated by it. There's these colorful characters. Your writing just flows really well. Surely you just didn't write, you know, overnight one night, or yeah. you, you didn't go out to a cabin over a weekend and write this uh, this novel or whatnot. Right. What, how many hours did you put into putting this book together? What was been your commitment to this? Joan passed away in October of 21, which uh, thank God there was a conference, Texas Municipal League conference, Saginaw was uh, set to receive an award for a, a partnership, a shared emergency management coordinator. I had happened to just chance be in Houston, was going to be with the mayor and council to receive that award. And Mike said, you know, he, he calls her Poopsie. Poopsie's not doing well. You need to go see her. Now, she had been placed in hospice care, which okay. is, you know, given her age, no one knew, you know, I mean, our bodies, they just after a full life, they we're not meant to be here forever. So, right. but it wasn't like, Hey, she only has hours to live. I go see her. This was on a, I think I drove down and I think I saw her on a Wednesday uh, afternoon. She had had some stomach troubles and she was awake. I knew she recognized me when she saw me, but she couldn't speak. And so I talked to her I said, look, I'm going to be back tomorrow. She eventually kind of drifted off to sleep while I was there. Well, Mike calls me at five in the morning, the following morning, and I just knew what I was going to hear. He said, she's gone. Yeah. I never expected that to be the last time, but I'm so thankful that, that I was there. And Mike told me, you know, I just, it's just a special moment. I'm just so happy. I was able to see her. And when I left Sugarland, we had talked weekly, if not several times a week. Oftentimes when I would drive uh, to work in Denison uh, in the mornings, I'd talk with her. So that, you know, 
I wanted really the kids to understand how important she was to me. Uh, they had all met her a few times as well as Corey, um, uh, several times. Uh, so I, I had this, this thought in the back of my mind. And so that's October of 21. Uh, I'm at a TCMA conference in June, which TCMA conference always seemed to be life-changing for me and the closing speaker, uh, on a Sunday. So they run Thursday to Sunday says at a, at a breakfast, uh, you know, what's something you've always wanted to do, but you haven't done. So tell your friend sitting at the table. So I, I knew. Uh, Instantly, I you knew what you, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I knew. I mean, there's no no second thoughts. And really after that, for whatever reason, I needed that affirmation or, or that that push to, to do it. I already had kind of a collection of stories because again, I, I do find some piece of comfort in writing to, to kind of deal with stress. So writing a book, it's, uh, anybody can write a book. I mean, I'm living proof of that, but it takes, uh, it takes a commitment to see it through, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, a marathon. I've never run a marathon for the record, but you know, with enough practice and discipline, you can run a marathon. It's just a matter of, are you willing to, to put in the pain, you know, right. to get there, right. to train. Right. And so I found myself in the early morning thinking about the story, thinking about the situations and just doing a little bit at a time during the week. That got me through until maybe, gosh, the holidays or so in December of 22, I guess. And as chance or fate would have it, you pick, there's a local authors group that meets in our, Saginaw has a, a wonderful library in the city. There's a number of folks who are independent authors and have been pretty successful, or at the very least, they're uh, real live people that I can see with my own two eyes and say, wow, that's somebody that actually wrote a book. Right. Uh, so I, I got to talk with a couple of these folks and, and one man, uh, John Drees, wrote a couple science fiction uh, novels. He's actually a, a aerospace engineer at Lockheed in Fort Worth. And he really helped to talk me through it. He said, look, if you do this, there's a few things you, you really need to do. One, you've got to hire an editor because your friends and your family, they're not going to be mean to you and tell they you, can't hey, give you, they can't give you that. They can't give you the unfiltered sort of uh, straight dope when it comes to the yeah. editing, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like my mom, who's a reader, she's too nice of a person. Oh, sweetie, this is lovely. I've never read a book better book. And then he encouraged me to get a professional proofreader and as well as a graphic designer. So really because I'm cheap, thrifty, frugal, insert your favorite word. I knew that this was all a game until I spent money. So like, yeah. you know, crossing the Rubicon moment, point of no return was really when I, when, when Gabe uh, breaks out the checkbook, that's when you're crossing the Rubicon, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So hiring the editor and I'll probably write an article about this at some point in the future, but we would all do well to hire an editor for our, our lives or our professional lives, somebody that can be really honest. So I think the work of an editor is it's somebody that needs to, uh, to beat you bloody, 
but then also nurse you back to health. So it, it, it's not, a really not, unique beat, beat you down, but not take away your confidence or your, yeah, your don't, passion don't, or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't, don't break your will to live much yeah. like in city management, a great mentor, a great mentor needs to be honest with you, but also not be so harsh that you're jaded or, you know, yeah. To your question, how many hours? I don't know. Hundreds of hours, a lot of, time. And I did my own self-editing before I ever sent it to the editor I hired. So I think the copy was fairly clean as far as flow-wise, punctuation and that sort of thing. But I think that's a, I think you're talking about having an editor for our life and our careers is very impactful. And I agree with you hundred percent. It's a great book. Uh, I know you put a lot of time and energy into it. I can tell, I can only imagine uh, I know you said hundreds of hours. I know you spent lots of money on it. I know this is a this is not a get rich quick scheme. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, I don't know if you're ever going to get your uh, your money out of the out of the book. But I I would tell I would uh, end this interview by talking to the rest of the city managers and aspiring city managers who are listening. And you know I've talked about on the, using this podcast as a platform, my LinkedIn page as a platform to support our peers, our colleagues, our fellow city managers who are working on their personal projects and things of that sort of nature. I would invite all the city managers and not as an act of charity, but hey, step up and support fellow city managers when they're putting themselves out there in a very vulnerable way. I mean, this is a very vulnerable representation of your life. I mean, you, you're really candid, Gabe. This is not a, it's not all fluffy and, and nice and and clean and happy, you know, unicorns and, you know, and butterflies and rainbows. I mean, there's, you're very vulnerable in this, in this work. I applaud you for having the courage to do that. And so I would invite all the city managers and the listeners of this podcast to please step up and support one of our peers. Your ebook's going to think I sell for like, was it $4.99? I think the ebook's yeah. for $4.99 and I'm not sure what the, the hard copy book price is going to be. And you don't get hundred percent of that money because Amazon right. takes a, takes a cut. You know what I mean? There's no reason why our peers should not be supporting each other. And I would invite everyone to check out the link in the show notes to get to the actual uh, ebook page and what have you. And I don't know if you have any, any final comments on that as far as uh, supporting each other or whatnot. Uh, the one thing I, I guess I would leave you with is, is anybody at city management, you have to understand that criticism is part of the job. So it, it's going to be interesting and, and difficult for me to, because I'm sure I'll get criticism related to the book. Uh, what I would tell people is buy a copy. I Like you mentioned, I want to recover my production costs. If you don't like it, buy a hundred copies and let's have a book burning, you know? Uh, so, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, kind of, kind of parting words, find this job is worth doing. It's stressful and difficult. It's tremendously rewarding, but find something that really helps you deal with it. Because I believe I've, I've found that in relationships and people, uh, but also writing. Uh, I intend to continue writing and, just like city man management, I intend to improve and, and get better each day. Awesome. Well, hey, Gabe, thank you for spending some time with me. Audience, your listeners, this book's uh, going to be available on September 12th. Please support Gabe Rayom. The book's called Strangers and Angels, Finding Family in Unexpected Places. So thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right. I'm Joe Turner, host of City Manager Unfiltered, a podcast by a city manager for city managers and other public sector executives. Until next time, see you later.